Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The following program was first broadcast on FNR Digital Radio. On Sunday, September 27th, 2015. For more information, visit www.unresolvedshow.co.uk. Previously on Unresolved. James. James Logan was there. He was. Whether you believe it or not, he was there. One new message. What is it we're trying to figure out here? What's the bottom line? Because for a long time, I've been working under the illusion that I need to find out how Maggie Hollis, Laura Ray and James Logan are, or were, all connected. But after a long while spent thinking on it and looking back and forth over different versions of events, I think I've realised there's only one question that really matters. That question isn't about how Laura Ray died. We know that she was struck by Maggie's car. It's not about the strange link between Maggie's dad and James's. That to me seems kind of spurious. I don't even think the question is whether or not Maggie Hollis should be in Hampton Hospital or in prison. I think the main thing to answer, the absolute most base question at the heart of all of this is what happened to James Logan. What occurred between the day James went on a date with Laura and the day he was killed? And now, this is our last episode. My deadlines and FNR's scheduling demands it. So it's high time I try and provide an answer. I'm Zoe Drew from FNR, and this is Unresolved, a real-life murder investigation told piece by piece. Today's episode, our final one, is all about conclusions. But first, an important meeting and some game-changing insight.
Hello. Hi. Is this, um, is this uh, David? Yeah, speaking. Hi, David. It's Zoe from FNR. You, uh, you, you left a message for me about Maggie Hollis. Ah, uh, hi. Yeah, thanks for calling back. No, no, not at all. Is this a good time? I can call back later. Uh, no, that's good, yeah. Great. <clears throat> so, so I mean, you said you've got some information for me about the case. Hmm, I think I do, actually. It's probably something you've not had any access to, but I think you're very interested. This is David Hall. David was a solicitor advocate at the time Maggie went to trial which means he was working as part of Maggie's defence counsel. That is to say, he wasn't in the courtroom, but he was involved with evidence and case building in the background. So much in the background, in fact, that I didn't know until we met that he existed, or he had even worked on the case at all. When I first started digging, I'd found the guys in the driver's seat, the direct teams for the prosecution and defence and the judge. As you'll recall, that was a laundry list of people who had either died or refused to answer my emails. So, for the most part, that was that. But those emails had obviously been read, passed along and talked about, because now, suddenly, I had access to someone who worked directly on the whole shebang. And he had some pretty amazing new info. So, thanks. Sorry, yep, just just let me get this set up here. I'm just going to record this if, if that's cool. David agreed to meet me for coffee to discuss the case. I brought with me some recordings from Maggie's tapes, my notes and a whole heap of questions. But I didn't really get to ask them. Instead, we did the whole small talk thing and we sat down with our coffees and then this. So... I don't think you'll know about these. Oh my God, this is the scene. It is. I've, I've never seen these. I mean, how? How come these were never shown in court? <laughs> yeah, Laura's brother would have said about these, definitely. Yeah, well, these photos were never shown in court because they didn't help anyone. David had pulled a couple of photographs from his bag and slid them across the table to me. They were pictures of the inside of my flat. Pictures the police had taken of the crime scene. The two photographs were small and low quality but explosive in terms of my understanding of what happened on October 3rd, 2005. The first was of the inside of the main bedroom, the room in which James's body was found, the room I now sleep in every night. The body had been removed from the bed, but the murder weapon, an unplugged clothes iron, was sitting on the carpet in the middle of the room. It was a scene I'd imagined over and over again while sitting up at night in that room. Imagining how the furniture was laid out, where the bed and the body would have been at the time, how it could have all looked and how it could have happened. 
to see the actual aftermath was surreal. But it was the second picture that really blew my mind. It was a picture of the combined living room and kitchen area. Wait, so <clears throat> tell me what I'm looking at here. So these are the two chairs from the small dining area. As you can see here, this one is covered in tape. Yeah, what, um, hot, uh, I mean, so what's going on? So it seems as though these two chairs have been pulled away from the table and one of them looks to be where someone was tied up. Who? Well, it was either James Logan or Laura Ray. What do you mean? Well, we found DNA evidence that both Laura and James had been inside the flat. They'd both been in contact with the chair and the duct tape. On the day of the incident? Hmm, it's difficult to say. But they were there which means Laura was definitely inside that flat at some stage. Wait, this is huge, right? Th this is big news. Um, my God, so, hang on, who was tied up? <laughs> that is a good question. I would love to be able to show you these photos. I'd seriously love to. But unfortunately, we can't, for complicated legal and moral reasons, which I'll get onto in a minute. The upshot, though, is that you're just going to have to take my word on their existence and validity. But I can tell you, with hand on heart, that they look to me to be as genuine as could be. And while the first was deeply intriguing, the second one was a revelation. It clearly showed the interior of my flat as it was the day that Laura died and James's body was discovered and a view of what went on inside the house that was completely new. Okay, so, just for clarity, in my house you come in and go straight up the stairs to a small landing. There you've got access to the bedroom and the bathroom. Or, if you go straight on, you walk into a combined living room, kitchen and dining area with a large set of bay windows. The photo showed the area just adjacent to the windows where a small dining table and chairs once sat to divide the kitchenette from the living room. Both chairs had been pulled out from the table and one had tape all over it, duct tape, obviously used to restrain somebody. This, to be quite honest, was blowing my mind. I had no idea this kind of evidence existed. Nobody I'd spoken to did. Not Tom, not Maggie. I couldn't believe it. I still can't. Okay. Ha! Oh God, you're gonna have you're gonna have to explain this to me. This is pretty major, right? Well, yeah, I always thought so, but it was never disclosed at court. Why? Well, because it did little for anyone's case. It wasn't relevant. 
I must have been staring blankly at David after this, so he offered to explain. Okay, so it's like with the uh, Jay Simpson case and the whole glove thing. If you tried it on and it didn't fit, well, you know how that turned out. And with us in the Maggie Hollis's defence, it was similar. It was the same thing. You see, when you're building up to a Crown Court trial, the prosecution presents its evidence first, and then you have some time to build your defence case, and then everyone shows their evidence and names their witnesses before any hearings start. But the prosecution opted not to include anything about the chairs and the duct tape, which was surprising to say the least, but because they didn't, neither did we. Why not? I mean, is that legal? Oh, yeah, it happens all the time, but you only include what helps your case, what's relevant. And since we decided that NGBRI was the way to go, it was decided that that throwing in what looked like an abduction scene wouldn't help us anyway. NGBRI is not guilty by reason of insanity, by the way, and it's what the defence's whole case was built on. So it was all they focused on. It's why Maggie wasn't deemed fit to testify in court. They simply leaned on medical testimonials. But OK, hang, hang on. Why wouldn't the prosecution against Maggie want to include what's clearly part of the picture here? Well, it depends on what story you're trying to tell. But in this instance, I mean, if you're prosecuting against Maggie Hollis and you want to make out that she's not only not only killed this girl in her car, but that she's also killed James Logan, but she's done that a few years before. Where do you fit this little abduction scene in if it's covered in Laura's DNA? My head is swimming now, racing with questions. I finish up my meeting with David and head home to the scene of the crime and just sit staring at the part of my living space that once had Laura Ray inside. She had, at one point, been inside the flat. And then it hit me. Tom and Laura's family didn't know. They clearly had no idea that this was the case. I rang David up again later that evening, with the benefit of a few hours to think about it, and he told me that he wasn't surprised about that. Well, I mean, people only have access to what goes on in court. But wouldn't the family have full disclosure? Wouldn't they have the right to know something like this? (sighs) Yeah, in my view, they should, yeah, but... There are lots, lots of mitigating factors. So it was complicated. You don't want family acting as detectives or causing trouble. You just want to get the verdict you need to get. As Maggie Hollis's defence counsel, it wasn't our job to tell the Ray family this kind of stuff. And like I say, if the prosecution wanted to get that off the table, well, they'd not have much to gain by telling the Ray family anything more than that which they would get them a guilty verdict. Guilty for both deaths. Especially, as you could argue, that the evidence that was there was more about James Logan's death than it was Laura's. I want to tell them, though, you know. I I think I need to tell Laura's brother about this. Is that, I don't know, legal? Okay? Well, this was all ten years ago now, which is a lifetime in this kind of world, but I still... But it still plays on my mind a bit. Look, 
I suppose that if I was worried about you passing this on, I, I wouldn't have arranged to meet you. But it is tricky. There's definitely more to this than meets the eye. And I think the more people who know, the better. But I would be careful about it. I'd be very careful with that information. What do you mean? Well, if Laura Ray was inside that building, well, it makes her more than just an innocent bystander, doesn't it? I asked David if he had any more photos, if there was anything else in his files that might be of use. He said, and I quote, My files are pretty much endless, but when I found out you were doing this investigation, these photos were what sprung to mind. He told me that this apparent hostage scene was what I should focus on, that this was the most interesting part of the puzzle. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I think that what I'm dealing with here, with this bombshell, is maybe a bit above my pay grade. I'm not a detective. I'm not a private eye. I'm a radio journalist obsessed with an old murder story because it took place where I live. But we're no longer just talking about a creepy little murder mystery. We're talking about covered up evidence. We're talking about people's perceptions of the dead. We may even be talking about wrongful convictions. So Laura was in the flat. I called my producer Rob over to let me vent at him and to help me decide where to go next. We sat on my dining chairs, facing each other, just as the ones in the photo David showed me had been. Yeah. I mean, 
I knew, uh, I knew they would have found DNA from Maggie since she was obviously over in the bedroom when they arrested her and James, since it was his place, but this whole stuff about the chair and the tape is brand new info. And you don't know who was tying up who? Inconclusive, apparently. Mm. So, I mean, should I tell Tom Ray, Mark Thompson? Should I tell Maggie? I'm almost certain she doesn't know about this. She was here, though. Well, she was in the bedroom. I don't think she came in here. I think she'd have said something to me about it anyway. Should I tell her? Yeah, I don't know. Rob and I went back and forth on this for hours. Whether it was better to let sleeping dogs lie or whether we'd accidentally uncovered something that people needed to hear about. Laura, having been in the flat, changed things. It changed just about everyone's version of events, and we both thought that it would be pertinent to get a feel for what an altered version of events might look like. So, who to tell first? Who would be most grateful or most interested? In the end, I kept coming back to one thing. Tom Ray, Laura's brother agreeing to help with the case on the grounds that I shared with him whatever I found. That had been his one condition. I owed him that. Throughout the months during which I'd been looking into it, Tom and I had spoken often, either in person or over the phone or via email. He would text me at random asking if I'd found anything new. He would speak to me at length about Laura, about the kind of person she was, about how much he and his parents missed her. And I think all I'd really done in return was disappoint or offend him. This extra info would, I knew, probably do the latter again. But I had to share it with him first, because he had asked me to. So, how have you been? Yeah, uh, busy, you know. Yeah, busy. Works busy. I called Tom late on a Sunday night, about two weeks ago at the time of recording, for what would be the last time before we released these episodes. We made small talk for a while, because I was nervous, before he eventually called me out on my obvious stalling. So, what have you got for me? On the case? Yeah, uh, I mean, I assume there's some news, or... Yeah. Yeah, I've got something. <sighs> you sound nervous. I do? <laughs> yeah, well, come on, what is it? It can't be that bad. Hmm... Okay. Okay. Um, does the name David Hall mean anything to you? Um, no, no. Sorry. Should it? Well, okay. So, you know the difficulty we've had in getting anyone from either side of the legal proceedings to talk? Yeah. So, David Hall was working under Alison Keane for Maggie's defence team, and he kind of tracked me down. And he found out that we were doing this and he met up with me to talk through some things that I don't think any of us outside of those proceedings knew about, or outside of the backstage stuff from those proceedings. Right. <laughs> right, so... Oh, man, was this a tough thing to tell Tom. For him to have to pass on to his parents... It took me a while to build up the courage, and then I said it as flatly as I could. So, 
In the main living room and kitchen area of the flat, there's what appears to have been some kind of hostage situation. What? What do you mean? He showed me photos of the two dining room chairs. Uh, I can email these to you later. And these chairs were... <clears throat> it looks like uh, someone had been tied up with duct tape in one of them. Okay. And there was DNA evidence suggesting that Laura had, at some point, been inside the flat during that time. Tom, are you... Uh, I mean... So... So what? Uh, I mean, what does that mean, then? What are you... Are you okay? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean this, this evidence, I, I don't really... I don't understand how that's... Are you, are you sure? I explained to Tom what David had explained to me. I told him how the scene in the room hadn't helped either side at the time and how a win for the defence seemed basically the same as a win for the prosecution, given the sentence. I explained how Laura's death had irrefutably been considered Maggie's fault and that this extra information only complicated things. And then, after all that and another few long pauses while Tom took in what I was saying, he asked me this. So, I mean, where 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 does this leave us then? How how do you mean? I, I mean, what does this mean? Oh well, what? Uh, like I've been trying to answer that question myself, but I don't know. What do you think it means? Well, if Laura was in the flat, then then I I guess she was being held prisoner or something i mean what sorry dude i'm gonna have to uh i'm gonna have to uh think about this um uh can you send me those photos uh please uh we can um catch up tomorrow maybe yeah of of course look tom mm. yeah i'm sorry i had to tell you though yeah, uh, never feels nice when someone comes along and upends your understanding of things. People don't like being challenged on what they perceive to be the truth. Tom was obviously confused on our call. He was noticeably crestfallen. I suppose it's like David said, Laura being in that flat makes things far less simple for her story. In a heartbeat, She's gone from being at the wrong place at the wrong time as a car came flying round a corner to being even more intricately linked to this whole thing than I first thought. And it only opens up more questions. But, well, 
we're running out of time for questions. This is our last episode after all, and all this new information only landed on my lap a couple of weeks ago. So, with a nearly finished draft for this episode written, then torn up and binned, I decided to make a couple more calls before drawing any conclusions myself. Well, to me, it leaves really only a few definite options, doesn't it? This is James's friend Mark Thompson again. As the closest person to him at the time, I figured he also had a right to know what I now knew. Thankfully, he was slightly more detached than Tom. To tell you the truth, I was starting to get the impression that Mark was feeling less and less loyal to James the more he found out, which may well be fair enough. So what are those options to you? Well, logic says it was either Laura or James that were tied up in the chair. So one of them is tied up, something happens... And then James is hit with the um, thing, the, the the iron, and he dies there. So what's your guess? About who was tied up? Yeah. Honestly? Honestly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, the last time we spoke, we started toying with the idea that maybe if James actually was stalking Laura, that maybe she ended up killing him? Yeah. Well... So if someone's tied up and she's supposedly been there, doesn't that say it all? You mean you think she did kill James? Well, makes sense, maybe. Doesn't that fit? I spoke to Tom, Laura's brother, and he says he can't picture her doing something like that. Fair enough. As I say, I don't want to go fleeing mud around. But, you know, people surprise you, don't they? In the short time since this call, Mark sent me an email telling me that he's now convinced that this theory, that James had Laura tied up in the flat and that she must have killed him at some point thereafter, is correct. That series of events, according to him, makes the most sense. He says, and I quote, Laura was inside the flat. We know James was after her, for whatever reason, and then he ends up dead. If she then came back in 2005 to finally clean the place up, doesn't that just about clear everything up? Unquote. And does it? This is Rob again. Does it what? Make sense? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I, I suppose. But it's, it's just a few things don't add up still. Like Maggie. Yeah, like Maggie. And like the discrepancy with James's decomposition and the fact that. What? Oh, I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel right. Was this it? They say be careful what you wish for, and maybe they're right, because this resolution, which seems so neat in some ways and so messy in others, did not make me happy. So in the end, I decided to give Maggie Hollis one more call. Calling someone at Hampton is weird, in that there are lots of hoops to jump through. First, you ring reception and ask about speaking to one of the patients. 
They take your details and you end up getting a call back from someone who works with them. You have to explain why you're calling and why you'd like to speak to them. And then eventually, if you're lucky, you get a date and a time for a callback. That was part of the reason why I'd mostly been seeing Maggie face to face. It was just as easy to book a visitor's appointment. And also, I don't know, maybe I thought that was the right thing to do too. Maybe I thought I'd get a picture of who she is if I did my questioning in person. But Dr. Edwards and the rest of the staff there seem not to want to encourage that kind of visit anymore. So when I called to arrange another talk, I had to explain that I just wanted to say goodbye. And that felt bad. It felt upsetting. Maggie Hollis was rude to me. She is abrasive, an odd and dismissive, and on paper at least, she is a murderer. But at the same time, I've never met anyone like her. She's a unique presence. She's like something from a movie. And so to be staging my final talk with her over the phone felt unjust in a way. Nevertheless, just a few days before I was set to come to the studio to record this episode, I found myself sitting by the phone waiting for her to call. She was, as I expected her to be, insanely punctual. Hello? Yes, it's me. Maggie? Yes. Hey, thanks so much for calling. How are you doing? Getting by, yes. So what can I do for you? Uh, so, okay. Um, I just wanted to uh, say thank you for your help with all the recordings and everything over the last few months, you know? So that means you've reached some kind of conclusion then? Well, not, uh, I mean, I haven't really wrapped everything up yet, but... I paused for way too long here, and Maggie sensed that I was stalling again. She called me out on it, and I had to just blurt out my question. Be warned, I didn't phrase things very well, not very tactfully. It all just kind of tumbled out. What is it you'd like to say, Miss Drew? Well, I mean, I... I've been speaking to David Hall from your legal counsel and he showed me some photos of the crime scene and the time and they see David Hall. He was working with your legal counsel and he had some, I mean, did you know that Laura Ray had been inside the flat? Did you know that DNA evidence placed her inside at some stage? Maggie? And this is true, is it? I believe so, yeah. Is that... Is that new information to you? Well, I would call that... Oh, I would call that confirmation, probably, rather than new information. I've never thought that Laura Ray just happened to be outside Logan's house, coincidentally. You'd be stupid to. So, I mean... What does that mean to you? Miss Drew, Zoe, I'm afraid that... I'm afraid that you're asking me to apply logic to a situation which, I think, defies it. How so? You've heard my side of events. You know I saw James Logan there on that day, October the 3rd, 2005. And yet... There was also his dead body in the room, rotting, old, 
Of those things, I am very convinced. So let me ask you a question. With that being the case, do you think I really give a shit about where Laura Ray was or wasn't? Doesn't it seem to you that there are bigger questions to answer here? Uh, I mean, I... And let me ask you another. It sounds like you're finally privy to the evidence from the scene on the day all this happened. So what about the diary? Diary? Logan's diary. I'm sorry, I don't know what... James's diary? Where's that? I mean, I, I don't... Well, that's the question, isn't it? If I'm being honest, I think both Maggie and I were getting a bit annoyed at each other at this stage. She clearly thought I was asking the wrong things while I was disheartened at how flatly she could dismiss Laura's life and death. I'd grown attached to all of these people in a way, and it was sad to hear Maggie be so casually hurtful. But perhaps more than that, I was left wondering why. If there was some piece of pivotal extra evidence, she'd never told me about it. After all, the photos of the crime scene and the extra info from David had thrown everything out of whack. And now, after all this time, I was being told there was yet another piece to the puzzle. I tried to explain all this to Maggie as calmly as possible. And this is what she said. The reason I've not brought it up is because the Logan diary is almost irrelevant due to how bloody ethereal it is. You'll never be able to get hold of it. It was only ever something I heard the legal lot mention in passing, only whispered about once or twice like a rumour, and it wasn't used in court. So it was, in effect, thrown out of existence. So where is it? Uh, Where's this diary now? In a landfill. In a drawer in somebody's attic somewhere. Sealed up in the case records with the rest of it. Who knows? I only know it's important. Why? Well, because most things that are impossible to find usually are. And because I can just sense that it is. Anyway, I can't talk any more. I'm tired. But, but... It's been interesting talking to you, Miss Drew. And thanks for looking into things. I trust that you'll put my tapes back where you found them. But look, this is above you, I think. Above me, too. And in fact, I think that if there's only one thing that you and I can agree on, it's that, well, there's something about all of this that doesn't make any sense. Maggie? Hmm? Did you kill... James Logan. Did you hit him with the clothes iron? <sighs> You're still not asking the right questions. That was it. Maggie bid me a final curt farewell shortly after growing more tired of the conversation by the nanosecond. She didn't implore me to continue my research. She didn't reveal any more about this mystery diary or what exactly might be in it. 
She didn't say anything very final. She just resigned herself to her lot, the victim of some series of events she clearly feels she had no control over. And sadly, I got the distinct impression she did not want to hear from me again. Good luck in your life, she told me. So I mean, what now? What would you do next? How would you find closure? I decided to email David Hall about my call with Maggie and ask him about the diary. I'd hoped this would be the springboard to a whole new world of clues. But what I got back, well, it was less than encouraging. Here's his email in full. Hi Zoe, thanks for your email. I'm sorry to hear that Maggie Hollis hasn't helped you much, though perhaps that's to be expected. As for the diary, she, you mentioned... I'm afraid I'll be of little help to you there. I do remember a diary found in the flat being talked about briefly, I must admit, but if I recall, it was more as an amusing aside than a piece of evidence. I can't even remember what the context was either way. Sorry. What I would say, from my point of view, is that it was probably as likely to be involved in the case as one of the spoons in James Logan's cutlery drawer. Apologies not to come bearing anything more groundbreaking, Perhaps I've hit my limit there. However, if you do need any more help in terms of evidence or the court case, etc., please don't hesitate to drop me another note. And that, as they say, was that. And here we are. There is a great listicle online called 136 Creepy Wikipedia Articles. I recommend bookmarking it. It's an awesome read, full of urban legends, strange disappearances, and unexplained mysteries throughout history. And there's a brilliant one on there, maybe the modern world's most famous, called The Somerton Man. The Somerton Man is the name given to a still unidentified Caucasian male's body, which was found washed ashore in South Australia in 1948. He wore a suit and had a briefcase and was found with a scrap of paper in his pocket reading Taman Shud, a Persian phrase meaning it is finished. Nobody in Australia was ever able to identify the man, so they soon widened the case. It was the beginning of the Cold War, after all, so an unidentifiable dead man in a suit quickly became something of an international incident. But neither FBI or Scotland Yard were able to put a name to the corpse, even after putting huge amounts of time and energy into it. And so, exactly what happened to him in his final hours still remains a mystery. I encourage you to go look it up. It's a great head-scratcher. But the main reason I bring it up is because I worry that this case, the story of Maggie Hollis, James Logan and Laura Ray, could very well earn itself a spot on that list of unsolved mysteries. Maggie's ostensibly taken the fall here, but I worry that there's much more to it than meets the eye, and that no one will ever figure it all out, myself included. Maggie's in her 70s now, after all. She's not going to live forever, and as time rolls on, we're only going to wind up with fewer and fewer people with any ties to the events leading up to October 3rd, 2005. 
So as much as I'd like to be able to offer some closure, I think we're at an impasse. But you know what? As I sit here writing this in the flat that was once the scene of a murder and a subsequent series of events that seems impossible to unravel, I can't help but think, maybe that's okay. After all, none of those 136 creepy Wikipedia articles, including the Somerton Man, have ever been solved, despite the many hours and years and decades of study poured over them. Maybe some things just aren't meant to be figured out. Maybe, as Maggie proves, the real story here is one of obsession and of trying not to let it get the better of you. Maybe the moral is not to let unsolvable problems take over and ruin your whole life. Maybe I should have done nothing more than what the estate agent listing said to do. Research the history of the property before applying. Maybe just that and nothing more. Maybe. I don't know. But what I do know, if you'll excuse me, is that I need to get back to tracking down a certain lost diary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.